Good morning. Can I have you turn to First um, John chapter five? One person said, the, gu- the gullibility of people remains constant. Aren't you amazed at what people will actually believe? And um, just, I'm going to read this. Just look at the headlines on grocery store tabloids. Cow mattresses help cows produce more milk. Mom on diet of only chicken lays huge egg. <laughs> World War II bomber found on the moon. Woman gives birth to two-year-old baby. Child walks and talks in three days. Adam and Eve's bones found in Asia. Eve was a space alien. And th- those have actually been printed, read, and believed by gullible people. And these same people have trouble believing in the miracle working power of God. This morning, I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about um, overcoming faith. Jesus was always working with his disciples that they would believe in who he was and the promises that he has. And um, I think at a time that we're living in right now that God is not looking for our faith to diminish. He's looking for our, our faith to increase. To have, uh, if you, this is a title to this message, message, it would be Overcoming Faith. There's a lot of people that are quitting. They're quitting this walk with God. They're quitting this, this race that we're in. And, uh, and it's because I believe a lot of it is there is not that overcoming faith. There are obstacles that we're going to have to get over in life, period. We know that. We live on planet Earth. We know that there's issues. We have, there's so many different issues in our lives and in the world. And how do we overcome those problems? And we don't overcome them in the power of our own strength. We overcome them in faith in God who has all the strength and he has all the power. You're not going to make it yourself. You think you might make it, but you're not going to make it. Uh, that's, that's what we're going to talk about a little, little this morning is that's the deception of Satan, getting you to believe you can pull this off on your own. You know, and that's how we've lived our life. That's how I lived my life before as a Christian. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to do this myself. I don't need anybody, and I've got enough brains, and I can figure this out, and uh, I don't trust anybody, and I'm going to be able to do this. And you, you come to a place in your life where you find out, no, that's absolutely not true. It doesn't work that way. Um, but it's a process. It's something that, if you're not a believer this morning, it's something where... Um, you have to come to that place where we heard in that song this morning, surrender. Who wants to surrender? In our minds, we think surrender is like giving up and losing everything, but in God's world, surrender is total freedom. This is how you get free. I fought and kicked against surrender, um, and... Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will be free. So don't think of surrender as a negative thing. It is very, it's a godly thing. It's a positive thing, because Jesus wants to rid us of ourself. It's our self that's in control. It's our self-life. And uh, that's hard, because we're going to see this morning, we've been programmed We've been programmed by a system that teaches us that you've got to do this yourself. 
No one's going to really help you. You may have some people, but if you don't, you know, especially in New England, you've got to pick up your own bootstraps and move forward. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And I'm not saying we don't put in an effort. I'm just saying I cooperate with the one who has all the power. That's all I'm doing. And so um, Christians have a problem with faith. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to know Christ and enter into his promises. There's promises that God has for us, but the key is faith to enter into those promises for my own life. And everyone here in this room is at a different faith level. It's, just, it's true. Some of you have been Christians for a short time. Some of you have been Christians for a longer time. And your faith level, everybody's faith level is, is different, but God wants us to increase in our faith level. And he's going to put you in situations where either you are put in a place where you're going to bear into God and his promises and, and your faith level increases or else you back away and there's no increase in your life in faith. The faith that you had last week is not going to be able to take you with what's coming in, say, another three months from now. We're continually growing in our faith. And faith is what? Trusting in him. Either you're going to trust in Jesus Christ. He is real. He is risen from the dead. Um, if, you're, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, his spirit is living inside of you. You know that it's true. I know one thing. When I got saved, something happened inside of me. It wasn't in my brain. It was something happened, and uh, I, didn't even know, I didn't have any Christians around me. I didn't even have anybody to tell me what actually happened. I had to find out myself. I listened to the radio. No one witnessed to me. I didn't even know. I was religious for my whole life. I went to church, but it, I, didn't ha I didn't have it. I tried, but it wasn't working. It's the Spirit of God that comes in that changes everything. Vance Havner used to tell the story of an elderly lady who was greatly disturbed by her many troubles, both real and imaginary. Finally, she was told in a kindly way by her family, Grandma, we've done all we can do for you. You just have to trust God for the rest. A look of utter despair spread over her face as she replied, Oh dear, has it come to that? Havner would say, It always comes to that, so we might as well begin with that. God has done all that he can do. You're going to have to believe and trust in him. Has it come to that? And sometimes our life goes in such a place where it is going to come to that, where we finally surrender and believe, and believe in a greater way. One thing Jesus is, he's loving. We know his mercy and his grace, but he's not sentimental with us, meaning he doesn't, his love is not... Uh, slurpy and you know make you feel comfortable at times his love is to challenge you to grow to become more like him and so whatever that process is in our life is what he's doing so that we'll become obviously we're not going to become jesus he's the savior of the world we're going to grow and become more like him but the holy spirit does that work in our lives so do you have trouble with faith? Is it sometimes hard to believe? Not believing in God, but believing God for his provision. To believe God for all of your needs. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his grace. Really? To supply all my needs? Yeah. 
It's like you do your part, he does his part. That doesn't mean I don't work and do anything and then I'm, I'm going to get money to survive. No, it doesn't mean that. He'll supply what we need to do what needs to be done, every need that we have, financially, physically, emotionally. He's the answer. We have to believe it. We have to have faith in that. And we're going to see how that works. We know that life is a battle and a struggle. It's a conflict. So it's either we're going to live in victory or we're going to live in defeat. That's a choice. Do you want to live in victory or do you want to live in defeat? Do you want to be an overcomer or do you want to be a quitter? The choice is yours. I'm not... I'm talking to believers this morning. The choice is yours. You can be an overcoming Christian or you can be a, 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 a Christian who lives in a place of mediocrity or eventually quits. We know what Jesus would want. He wants to be overcomers. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Say it together with me. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Satan is no match for God. He's powerful, but he's no match for God. God created him. He's just a fallen angel. So the first point I want to... We're going to go to the text, 1 John 5... Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him, that beget, loves him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his word. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? There's a verse in Revelation 3, 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I just want to take a a side uh, bar here just to make you realize that there there is a book of life. This book in the Bible contains the name of every person who's ever been born. God has a book. And the last day the great white throne judgment, this is not for Christians, this is for unbelievers. When they stand before God, he's going to have the book, and if, and if you're not a believer in him, your name has been blotted out of the book. Your name has been erased. Think of the solemnness of this. When they stand before God at the great white throne judgment, he's going to look in the book and their name is not going to be there. Psalm one, I just want to show you these verses. Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when I was yet, there was none of them. You saw me in your book. 
And then it says in Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. All I'm saying is when we look at that verse in Revelation 3, 5, we're overcomers because our name is in the book. And then there's a book, there's the Lamb's Book of Life, which is Revelation 13, 8. So I want to have you see the difference this morning. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So there's a book of life. Everyone who's a believer is in the book of life. If you're not, your name has been erased. And then there's the Lamb's book of life, which your name was written before the foundation of the world, if you're a believer. So the book of life and the Lamb's book of life should have your names in both of them. And that's why God knows you have the potential to be an overcomer. I, didn't, I don't say these things. This is the word, what the word of God says. You don't want to be at that day at the great white throne judgment and your name is not there. Because there is no second chance. There is no, let me try this again. You have a lifetime to put your trust in Christ and to believe in him and the gift that he offers you. He offers you forgiveness if you receive it. So the first point is we're in a real battle. We have to overcome the world. The question is, and I'm going to give you some definitions um, of the world and worldliness. What is actually worldliness? And, and the scriptures talk a lot about it. Just what is the world? One person said the real issue of worldliness is found in the prevailing philosophy of the world, meticulously developed by Satan himself. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan meticulously, God is still in control, but he's the God of this world for now, and God still has say over whatever, but for whatever reason, Satan is the God of this world. He has devised a system, and he has divided it meticulously to bring deception on the whole world to make you believe the lie. And that's exactly what advertising does, is get you to believe they want you to buy something, they're going to try to convince you of something. And that's what Satan does. He tries to convince you in this system, this world system, of how to think. And it's strong and it's powerful. Just look at the world today. Just look at what's going on out there. The God of this world has blinded the minds of people that do not believe. What's going to change that? The light of the gospel changes that. The blinders are taken off. But then we must avoid extremes. One, one extreme is equate worldliness with outward superficial, such as style. In other words, the way someone dresses or however they look, well, they're a worldly person. You can't go by outward things. I remember um, when the church was on State Street, we were out there sharing the gospel with people on the street, and uh, I, I remember clearly um, I was with uh, a guy and another young lady, and um, I remember this person came up to her, this religious person, and said to the, said to the young lady, you know, if you were of God, you wouldn't be wearing lipstick and you wouldn't be, have earrings in your ears. 
and you wouldn't have done your eyelashes. In his eyes, that was worldly by outward appearance. It hasn't really, that's not the emphasis of what worldliness is, how someone looks. But then the other side is, is to take the threat too lightly and casual, playing down and adopting the philosophy of the world. You get sucked right into it, the way you think. Young people are just being, unless they have scripture and unless they have someone teaching them, they're gonna go the way of the world. And it's pulling Christians young Christians right in, like a vacuum cleaner. What happened here? What happened to that person? They're off on a tangent. Something happened. The philosophy of the world was strong. And the way to beat the philosophy of the world is having God's way of thinking, which comes through the scriptures. You're thinking with him. You're seeing things. He gives you the sermon of, that's not real. Sometimes people, I was thinking this week, sometimes people who are really depressed... I'm, not, I'm make, not making light of it, but what I'm thinking is I can remember my own life being really down, and it's because it wasn't a bad place to be because I realized everything around me I thought was phony and had no answer for me. In one way, I was right. So being depressed, sometimes you're in a place where none of that has worked, it's depressing, but now you're open to the gospel. Now you're open to the truth, something that will satisfy you. God's desire is that we overcome Satan and the world in our experience, in our walk with God. I don't know, the standard, of, the standard of sometimes even the church, the Christian church in the United States, sometimes you watch it, you watch things on TV, and you wonder, wow, that seems kind of far from the gospel. And that's how close it is because he's an angel of light. That's how Satan is. He's close to the truth. He's not going to bring something at you that's black and white. It's going to be so close, and yet it's not going to be the truth. That's why I said greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I am no match for Satan and his demons. No match at all. That's why you need Christ. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer, you have it. So worldliness is not merely, I'm going to give you some definitions, it's not merely blatant sin. Worldliness is anything that diminishes our dedication and devotion to God. Let me say that again. Worldliness is anything that diminishes our dedication and devotion to God. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, that doesn't mean we don't love people. It's talking about the system. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't love the world. It's very appealing. Even says in the scriptures, there's pleasure in sin for a season. There, there is pleasure for a season, and then it just drops you off and there's nothing left. Don't love the world. Well, how do I, how do I recognize that? Having the mind of Christ 
in, in discerning, this doesn't seem it's of God. I shouldn't be doing that. And we all need each other in this process. We can't do it alone. So what is behind the lust of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life? It's the philosophy of the world. Satan's so deceptive that even right now, he's going to try to blind your mind and your eyes, not even to believe this. Ah, that's a lie. That's not true. That's not in all cases. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Pride. God has a plan for your life, and the plan for your life is a perfect plan. But it's not going to be carried out in the way he wants it if you are sitting on the fence and you've got one foot in the world and one foot with him. Just talk to a few people in this room. They can tell you that. It doesn't work. We heard this morning, surrender. Oh, I'm going to lose everything. What are you really going to lose? Yeah, you lose yourself, which has been a hindrance for you your whole life. I want this, I want that, my life, my thing, my plan, me, me, me. It's, and it just ends up being empty. God wants to bless us. He's got so much more for us. Things that you think are going to bring you pleasure, he's got greater things that bring you pleasure. Like Miriam was saying this morning, it's just pleasure being in the room with believers right now. It encourages us in this walk. It is the worldliness is the sum of things material and philosophical considered apart from God. An example, a way of thinking which entices me to trust it is the world. It wants you to trust it. Obviously, we're in this world, but we're not of the world. We're not of that, that system. We're here for a reason. We don't live a life of a hermit and get away from people. And there's some people that do that. No, he wants, Jesus, Jesus was in the midst of it. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. So you can be in, in doing what you're doing, working, being there, but being a light in the world, but not getting sucked in to that way of thinking and that way of doing. I know, you, I know you've experienced that if you work the job and you're a believer and you live for the Lord. Yeah, you may not have, may not have many friends in that office if you're living. If you're compromising, you might get along with everybody. I found for myself a lot of times, and I didn't bring it on myself, just living my life, it's like all of a sudden, a lot of people didn't want to be around you. So they would have lunch and it didn't bother me because I, I just knew if I, if I went there and I was around them, not that I didn't talk to them alone, but the whole conversation and what they were doing, I didn't want to hear that. So you had to pick your spots. Another definition is it demands allegiance. It then crowds out my trust in Christ and my love and devotion to him. Satan wants you totally surrendered to him in his way. He wants total allegiance from you. He wants you as a Christian to compromise. Yeah, you can do both. Don't worry about it. 
You know, you can, you can go to church, but you can still do this other stuff. Yeah, you can. He gives you a free choice to do that. But where does it end up? It's amazing. When you're, not per, you're not perfect. We're still sinners. When you surrender to God and say, what do you want to do with my life, your plan, your will? It's an amazing life. There's joy in that. And it's a process. Some of you are in the middle of the process. I haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. But we're in the process. Talk to a few people in this church who have been in that place where they had one foot over here and one foot over there. And they'll tell you how that worked. Overcoming, it's an overcoming faith. Allegiance is another definition to the world and its thinking is that which cools my heart and makes the commandments of God burdensome. Allegiance to the world and its thinking is that which cools my heart and makes the commandments to God burdensome. Why is it a threat to us? It produces trust in the things which make us self-centered and self-exalting. I'll say that again. It it produces trust in the things which make us self-centered and self-exalting instead of God-loving. God-loving persons are what God wants us to be. That's why you got to be careful what you're watching. Even the TV is unbelievable. It bombards you and bombards you and wear you down. You got to be able to know, okay, this, I can't watch this. Well, if I watch it, then I know I can handle it. Still infiltrating into you. Still getting you to think. And it breaks things down. It's a sophisticated system that Satan has. And the only, the only shield we have against that is, is Jesus Christ and his spirit. Otherwise, I would be right back out there. And so wouldn't you, if you're honest. The real aim of the world system is to refocus our attention from God onto things. Especially in America, materialism is so strong. I remember me and my family, when we were in Hong Kong and China, I remember China specifically, it was like, at one time in the 80s, they didn't have anything, so they were open to the gospel. Really open. But all of a sudden, the Western culture just floods right in there. Everybody's got a phone, got a tablet. All this other stuff comes in there, and now their desire and hunger for the gospel is so much less. Why? The system has come in. I'm not saying communism is good. I'm just saying world economic system, especially America, is so powerful, materialism. Now all they think about is making money and their interest. The gospel is still growing in China, but man, the hunger isn't the same from what I hear. Second thing is we have a victorious nature. It says in verse 4, 
For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What overcomes the world? Our faith. That's, that's what overcomes this world system. Believing, we're believing in another system. We're believing in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. It's stronger than this world system. I just laid that all out for you so that you see it sounds negative, but that's the reality of what it is. But then here's the other part of it, is that we have an overcoming nature. We need more than self-effort to overcome this. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. God has given us an overcoming nature. Like I said, this new nature will undertake the contest with the world and win every time. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph, triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. In Galatians 6.14 Far be it from me to boast except from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's the cross that has the power, as it says right there, to crucify the effects of the world on my life. In other words, I surrender, I give it over, God, I need help in this. This is strong. This temptation is strong. I need you. I surrender to you. He will give you what you need to overcome that. We can't blame God when we don't have victory in areas. Why didn't he help me? Where was he? No, the question should be, where was I? What am I doing? Sometimes you need to get so alone with God and you need to get on your face and you need to pray your brains out and you need to hold on and cry out to him to get through something. That's just the way it is. But we want quick, quick, quick. You know, I, got, I prayed for five minutes, I'm fine. Are you kidding me? There's, there's some things that... I've just been reading through E.M. Book's book on complete work of his prayer life. Uh, prayer. If you ever want to read a book, E.M. Bound's complete work on prayer. Uh, it's eight, volu- eight, yeah, eight books in one volume. And in it, I'm reading this, and these guys like David Brainerd, and I know they didn't have jobs like we would have, David Brainerd, Jonathan Livingston, all these different people. This guy spent like three, four, five hours a day in prayer. But they moved. Things, the kingdom of God moved through them. I mean, it's challenging. I'm going, my goodness, I don't want to try to do this in the flesh, God, you know, like lead some type of ascetic life, but... Sometimes we're just thinking of talking, asking God all these things. Sometimes just sitting there and listening to what God has to say to you. Be in his presence. We're altered. When we're born again, we're altered at the very core. We must allow the new nature to have its way in us. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Sometimes people will say to you, are you a born-again Christian? There's no other kind of Christian. There's not a, this kind of Christian and a born-again. I remember in the late 70s, people go, oh, you're a born-again Christian? It's like, there's not two different kinds. 
You're either born again or you're not. Either the Spirit of God is living inside you, not perfect, not sinless, but you have come to the place where you accept the free gift that he offers you. You're not going to make it to heaven on your own. And you need forgiveness and you need the free gift. I'll take that gift. When you do that, whether you feel it or not and you meant it, you're born again. And the Spirit will begin to work in your life. So he gives us Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's just like it says in Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do do, I don't want to do. Who can deliver me from all this? Thank God for Christ Jesus, says in Romans 8. Thank God for Christ Jesus. There's a battle going on inside of you. The flesh against the spirit. I don't care who you are, if you're born again, with your flesh, you're capable of still doing anything. Anything. You're, that's why we can't judge, well, how did that Christian do that? It's like, are you kidding me? Given the right circumstances, I'm capable of anything. I admit that. And you should be in that place too. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, really? The devil hears that. And before you know it, there it is right in front of you. There is a temptation. And it's a, it's a tragedy when people fall. But you know something? If you're a believer, it's the grace of God that keeps forgiving. And you've been forgiven. That's not the end of the story. Amen? That's what I say. Amen. We must allow God to cause faith to rise within us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm just showing you what the Bible says here. I appeal to you, therefore... Brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's only one way your mind's going to get renewed, and that's through the Word of God. There is no shortcut. You want the mind of Jesus Christ? Then take the words of Jesus Christ into, into your life, into your head, and changes your way of thinking, changes your old patterns of thinking. I was thinking about this morning. How does that actually work? I have no idea. All I know is it works. The synapses in your brain, whatever's going on, your thinking changes. That's how powerful the word of God is. It can change all my life of thinking the wrong way and make me start thinking the right way. Amen? Amen. The third thing here is we have an invincible weapon. The old nature continually tries to reassert itself and tells us we can't believe God. Jesus even said it, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't you just hate your flesh? The things I don't want to do, I do. And how, how is this 
Sometimes there's a thorn in the flesh that we just have that we need. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you, for my grace is made, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I need God every step of the way. And some things he, he doesn't remove just to keep you humble, dependent on him. Some things I know as a believer went away quick. Boom, boom. I had no pro- problem, profanity and other things. They just went quick. And there's other things, man, they hold on because I allowed that in my life. And there's scar 